Hey, Lizzie, I have a story for you. It has meeting yourself for the first time in a dream, feeling like a superhero, and that important question, how do I find my people? It's a misconnection. Welcome to Misconnections. We're both Elizabeth. I'm Elizabeth Via, aka Lizzie. And I'm Elizabeth Wyndham, aka Beth. Misconnections is a podcast that explores our longing to connect and the circumstances that stand in our way. Each episode will bring a true story of a misconnection and an expert guest to help us unpack it so that we can all get better at making real, meaningful connections that feel good to us. That's why we started this show. After a series of our own misconnections in dating, friendships, and family relationships, we decided to get some help. So Lizzie, are you ready to hear this misconnection story? I'm ready. Okay, let's listen. I met you for the first time in a dream. I was lying beneath a palm tree in the large yard next to my house, and I slowly began to sink into the ground. Chunks of dirt crumbled around my limbs and covered me in cool, dark earth. I wasn't scared at all, but the opposite. I was at complete and total peace as the earth took me in. Then it pushed back up and out into the world, reborn, this time with my chest gone. There weren't any scars or any signs of my former female body. Just the body I was always meant to have. For the first time, my body felt exactly how it should. This was the first time I fully understood that this was exactly what I wanted for you. The first time I felt connected with how my body was supposed to be. It was my first inkling into being really sure about what I wanted almost two years before I had top surgery and even before I started wearing a binder. The dream was so visceral, it felt real. I wish it had been. I woke up and I wanted it to have been real so bad. I just wanted to be fixed. This dream was our first encounter, but we've been re-meeting each other again and again ever since. Can we ever fully know our queer identities? Can the outside world ever fully understand who we are? Can we do all of the work to figure out who we are for ourselves, have the surgeries, take the hormones, change our pronouns, go to therapy sessions? But is all of that ever enough to be fully known? After I transitioned, I constantly wondered how I should exist in the world. It was complicated, and still is, because in some ways, I found immense power in this version of you. Passing as a male pre-top surgery had always been gender euphoria for me. It instantly made me feel safer. I literally felt like a superhero. That's just it. Being a man is like being a fucking superhero. Even now, I still won't do certain things like walk around with headphones in, but mentally, I know that I'm a lot safer now that I pass. This power has been a double-edged sword. With passing as a man has come a shift in how I'm received by women. I transitioned while working at a public library in Colorado, and I began to notice how the women I encountered there stopped making eye contact with me. 
They didn't enjoy my joking around anymore, which had previously been my in with people. Women were being much more reserved and generally closed off to me, and who can blame them? The silly jokes and little compliments were no longer coming from a woman, but from a man. The dynamic shift was seismic. That's when I decided to change tactics. I began acting more quintessentially gay to put women at ease and to try to indicate that I wasn't a predator. In an attempt to be less threatening, I contorted myself into another incorrect identity that posed its own set of problems. Men started to flirt with me, and I found myself in the wrong friend groups, clumsily searching for connection with the wrong people. But what's the alternative? Is there a better option? I still wonder, because while imperfect, the gay man performance does effectively solve certain problems, like making me as non-threatening as possible, and I never want to be perceived as a straight man or a cishet man. Gay man might be the wrong queer identity, but at least it's still a queer identity. At least I'm still viewed as being part of the queer community and not just some guy. But at my core, it still feels wrong, and I don't feel fully known. This is some fake version of you. This isn't real. This isn't who I really am. But what else do I do? I don't know. I don't know how to be. These identity demons have always been at their most quiet when I'm out in nature. Since I was a kid, the freedom of nature has provided a refuge from social norms, societal rules, and gender roles of typical life. Nature is where I've always connected with you the clearest. Nature is where I've always felt the best about my body and my gender. Whether working as a counselor at summer camps or going on camping trips, gender never mattered when I was being a total dirtbag in the woods. The thing is, everybody kind of becomes genderless in the great outdoors. There's no pressure on how to act or dress or do your makeup or do your hair. No, I'm not going to straighten my hair. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Normally, I was always supposed to do this stuff that I never wanted to do. It was always a fight to just exist in the world and to be comfortable. I was never comfortable. But being outside has always been freedom from that. Nobody gives a fuck in the wilderness. So why can't I always feel this way? Why do I have to go off in the woods to feel completely comfortable with you? I want to be fully known and understood, not just internally, but by a community of people who love me. I lived as a woman in the world for so long, and even though I never really identified with that gender in any meaningful way, I had to play the part for a quarter of a century. So a lot of my life and experiences fall within the sphere of that identity. When people don't know that I'm trans, then that part of my life is cut off from my experiences. If people don't know that I was born AFAB, it feels like I'm not bringing my whole self. I don't feel totally known, and being totally known is all I've ever wanted. How do I find my people? What do I have to do? Be like, hi, over here. I love the idea of automatically and unconditionally belonging to a friend group, to a community, to a person. One of the hardest things about transitioning is that I'm not part of the woman club anymore. I no longer have my cool lesbian crew. Even though unequivocally, it doesn't feel like a space I belong in anymore, I still wish I had a lesbian friend group like I had before. We would go rock climbing and camping, played countless hours of shuffleboard, and drank way too much beer around backyard campfires. But that's not me anymore, is it? All I want to do is be a he-him lesbian. Is that allowed?
I worked at an Irish pub a few years ago that flattened me into this hyper-masculine bar back. The bar was full of gender non-conforming, trans, and all different types of people. And yet, I was never able to make a connection with any of them. There was a whole crew of trans mask people who would come in, and I tried so hard to be their friend, but it never took. For whatever reason, they didn't see me as one of them, and I've continued to struggle to find any group that truly does. I joke that I need a business card that reads, AFAB, not interested in cock, that I can hand out to everyone I meet. Sadly, I don't think it's that simple. I've done a lot of work to love myself exactly as I am, but how do I find others who love me in the same way? Okay, Lizzie, it's time to let me know. <laughs> What's the story bringing up for you? I love this story. Obviously, I love the like honesty and vulnerability of a storyteller. What I really appreciate about it is that, of course, we're talking about a misconnection here. Yeah. That's the whole point of what we're doing. But in the midst of that misconnection, it's really a strong foundational connection with nature yeah. that our storyteller has. And to start with the dream that feels so grounding and so true and to come back to nature throughout and have kind of a longing for that same connection in other spaces, um, you can feel it. Yeah. And I love that the storyteller is really on a journey of connections. This isn't necessarily a, a misconnection of the past. Mm -hmm. It's an active process and a road that our storyteller is walking down. It's beautiful. I agree. The The grounding in nature really stuck out to me and it made me so happy for them that they could go out in nature and just be when they needed it. But I think like the biggest feeling that came out for me was the desire to encourage and support the storyteller. Like I wanted to say to them, you will find your people. Mm -hmm. You will have community. You will be known. And, you know, keep the hope. You know, you are still on this process. And I would say to him, like, you met yourself in a dream, and then you went on a journey to embody that, to make that reality. Continue to dream. Continue to embody the reality that you desire. The storyteller is asking so many good questions, and I think that most people can relate to those questions. The desire to be seen, known, accepted, celebrated, at its core is very, like, human. So for the next part of this episode, we're bringing in a special guest to talk to us about ways that we can explore how to continue on this journey. Thomas Page McBee is an author, journalist, and writer-producer. His award-winning books, Man Alive and Amateur, have been translated into multiple languages, and his essays and reportage have appeared in The New York Times, The Atlantic, Esquire, GQ, and many other publications. He lives in Los Angeles with his wife and dogs. Welcome to Miss Connections, Thomas. So happy to be here. Thanks for being here. So we would love to know first, before we jump into our our conversation further, like how did you feel listening to this story? What did it make you think about? 
Mm. Well, I felt so much compassion for our storyteller and really resonated with his story. It made me think a lot of my own early transition, something I was told by a developmental psychologist in the course of like researching my last book was that there's something called identity formation theory. Mm -hmm. And that's true of everybody, trans or not. And the idea is first you figure out who you are and then you figure out your place in the world. And I think relatedly, a lot of what I was thinking about is things have changed a lot. I mean, I transitioned 12 years ago, so it was a very different time. But I think there's still this kind of pressure of the like before and after, yeah. which is not, I don't think, a, a real trans narrative, actually. I, I know few trans people who actually see our own lives that way. But I think it's easy to, in that sort of liminal new space, you know, in the first few years of transition, to feel like you've gone through this process and you're on the other side. And, and I know I relate to this. Like I remember being in my own apartment in New York and feeling like amazing and like looking in the mirror and being like, that's me. <laughs> um, but then, you know, the truth is there's not an after in that way. Mm -hmm. And when I would walk out the door in the very beginning of my transition, as uh, the activist Teek Milan says, I was cis assumed mm -hmm. uh, rather than cis passing. Mm -hmm. But even when I was cis assumed and walking around and embodying that part of who I was, I felt very aware that the like, the ways I was being reflected back at by the world, you know, in terms of being a man was not aligning with my own set of like values and who I thought I was and my 30 years of experience in the world prior and my feminism and my queerness. And so that dissonance um, can be incredibly alarming. Sure. And I also think it's a huge opportunity, you know, and I think that's what it is about. I don't think transition stories are before and after stories. I think they're integration stories. Mm. And I think that that next phase, that figuring out your place in the world is the integration phase of our stories. Mm -hmm. And it's a huge opportunity. <laughs> well, it's kind of a lie that we tell ourselves about our lives as a whole, right? Is that there is any before and after at all. Like there's a fantasy of arriving Yes, that is kind of what oftentimes I think drives us forward. But I think it is actually the process of showing up every day that is actually moving us forward. And, yeah. and we might look back and be like, oh, wow, look how far I've come. But we don't often get moments of like, here I am, here is the before, here's the after. It's a, it's a page that was turned and it was as clear as that. Absolutely. And, and I think compartmentalizing life that way only leads to negative outcomes for everyone. Yeah. You know, like yeah. as soon as you cut off parts of who you are, you know, in order to become something new, if you don't bring everything with you, you don't bring that wisdom and reckoning with you, that can make you literally harmful to yourself and yes. others, you know, mm -hmm. in the world. So it's so important that we hold the multiplicities of our experience. And the flip of that is everybody passes. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody's walking around in the world being seen for all of who they are. And that was something, it seems obvious to say it, but I understand the struggle with that as a trans person because it's like, but what's the point then? I mean, you're trying to be authentically your whole self. But to me, the universal of that is the point. Like realizing that it's not about being trans. Like nobody's walking into a barber shop or a drugstore or a bar and having somebody immediately able to read like, you know, their entire life history on that, on their yeah. face. And it's not specific to us, you know, mm -hmm. it just might feel more visceral, you know, depending on where you are in your process sure. to have to face that. Sure. Yeah. I think like sometimes a lot of people are too scared to know who they are or too scared to go on to that journey. And so even in that effort of when you do do that and you feel like you're about to arrive to somewhere, you're like, oh, wait, it's not over. It's still continuing. I still yeah. have to integrate with these new questions or fears or, you know, joys and everything like that. So 
it's always interesting when you realize like, mm, nope, we're just emerging. We're just evolving as we continue to discover who we are. We're always throughout our entire life on a journey of discovery. Yeah, and integration. Yeah. I have come to feel that those dissonances where you feel an estrangement from the world are actually the exact moment you can stop and, and sort of engage with yourself and be like, well, what about this isn't feeling right? Mm -hmm. And how do I better embody who I really am? Or what do I need to change about how I'm behaving mm -hmm. or operating yeah. so I'm more in alignment? It's like an integrity question mm -hmm. because that's what integration is. Mm -hmm. And I think we all have those moments where we're like, something is out of line with, you know, the, the way I'm being perceived versus who I am, there's something off and what do I need to do to insist on myself? Mm -hmm. You know, Yeah, the friction is actually can be a gift because you're become aware yes. in that friction. But if you live a frictionless life, then you don't have the moments to even pay attention. Exactly. Be like, why does this feel weird? Or why does do I feel this dissonance? Where is that coming from? How do I want to move forward? Yeah, I think that's true. It's also boring to live yeah. a frictionless life. I mean, yes. <laughs> I've, I've tried it. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I keep coming back to apparently friction works for me. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it's sort of being growth oriented, which yes. I think most most people I know aspire to be, yeah. you know, and trans people, you know, in an interesting way, we kind of have a head start there. We're like, Truly. we're sort of set up to be growth oriented mm -hmm. and we can embrace that, you yeah. know? Yeah. I also think like on those journeys, you do really want community. Like, you know, I think as we're on these journeys, we need therapists, we need friends, we need family, you know? And so I think when you're in a space where you feel lonely, you don't feel seen, you don't feel known in the fullness of history or even the progression that you've gone through, it can feel daunting in the sense of like, well, should I continue? Do I stop here and just wait for people to come? Or do I continue on this journey alone? Or how do I even find my people, which is obviously what our storyteller is asking. To yeah, me, absolutely. Know? And just to briefly speak to that, yeah, I feel like that that sort of emergent stage where you, you kind of maybe butt up against multiple communities, which, mm -hmm. I mean, again, everybody can relate to this. Like this idea of like, you know, you go through a divorce, you have a child. Like there are big life transitions that shift your identity and your place in the world. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you're in that kind of phase, I think what's hard is, of course, we want support. But there's two things. One is we want support and we can get it by looking at the universals. What are we sharing about life with the people around us? Mm -hmm. Like what what do we have in common? Because I think most people go through transitions. And mm -hmm. and early in my own transition, I was like in a random New England town and had very few trans people around me and had to just sort of seek community around me, which was like people who had very little experience with being trans, but they all knew what it was like to go through a life transition, mm -hmm. you know? So I think the first thing is like, there are people around you who can understand you, even if they don't understand your exact experience. Mm -hmm. And in fact, it can be actually deeper mm -hmm. and more meaningful to find those connections. And then I think the other part is sometimes that phase where we don't totally know who we are yet is it's okay to be a little internal in that phase yeah. and self-examining. And we don't need to slot right into mm -hmm. like, you know, a world of belonging immediately because to the point of the storyteller, sometimes if we put that before that self-examination, we end up in places we don't feel like we fit. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes it, it's okay to feel like I'm still figuring out where I belong in this community, you know? And that, that doesn't have to feel like a scary bad thing. That mm -hmm. can be part of your process because sure. there will be a place. It's just about what place do you want to be in? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs>
So I think we've kind of like touched on this a little bit, but like one of the greatest things about this story is that it's not a misconnection that's in the past. It's a continuing journey of connection that is uniquely trans. So like when you hear the story, what factors and themes do you think are at play in this journey? To me, it really is about that. It's about the like thinking about after the after, you know, Mm -hmm. and thinking about integration thinking about belonging as sort of something that's not about slotting in from one group to another group or sort of like the kind of coolest thing about being trans specifically, at least my understanding of being trans, Mm because I have, I have binary trans men friends. I have binary trans women friends. I have non-binary trans friends. I have non-binary, non-binary friends. Mm -hmm. Like I have, you know, cis assumed friends who are trans and I have people who don't pass in that way. I mean, there's so many ways to embody yourself. And I, I think the kind of radical acceptance of wherever you really are in in your own journey is something that's actually very core to my understanding of trans community, you know? So I think maybe there's like a very natural human urge to sort of figure it all out and get to the other side as quickly as possible. But it makes me think a lot about like, you know, it's an ongoing journey. And Mm -hmm. again, everyone is on a journey like this at different times of their life. And it made me reflect a lot about my own experience of feeling really alone and the thing that actually made me feel less alone was A, seeing how people who weren't trans had a lot in common with me. Mm -hmm. And in fact, especially people from my own history, people who had seen me over time and could relate to me over time and finding where, I don't know, where I was consistently me across Mm. time. That was powerful. And realizing where those dissonances were happening in me and why I wasn't totally comfortable in, in I guess, the world's perception of me mm-hmm. and having this like very unique opportunity to sort of early in my becoming wrestle with like, well, what kind of man do I want to be? What does masculinity mean? Why am I so uncomfortable with elements of, you know, even though I'm happy with my body and, and how I am living in it, why does this sort of social role not feel right in certain ways? And how can I address that in myself. Mm -hmm. And that was like an incredibly empowering thing once I realized that that was possible. And then that ultimately gave me a sense of belonging in multiple worlds. The nuance of identity and the nuance of belonging, kind of finding those overlapping worlds and where that center is. Yeah, That's why I think that what strikes me about the story so much is that connection to nature, really grounding throughout and being a place where our storyteller really actually felt seen and known and kept wanting to bring people into that space because it felt so good. Yeah. And I think being having the gift of really finding those spaces where you can be seen consistently over time, where you can feel grounded, yeah, consistently over time is, is so important along a journey where you are questioning a lot of things. Yeah, and separating out, like, because to me, when, when he's talking about nature, it reminds me of me, the things I feel like I felt about being in my own house, you know, Mm -hmm. wherever your safe place is, what you really mean is nobody's looking at you and telling you who you are. You're not having that feeling of being watched and having to perform or, you know, react in this way or that way, which is just such a mental load. And I think, you know, everyone can relate to this, of course, but I think especially trans people early in their transition, like you're trying to perform what you think you're supposed to be. And then you're having all kinds of most people conflicts with what does that even mean? And do, is this what I think a man is or a woman mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or whatever? And so I think that's very important having that 
internal sense of self that he clearly has that he finds in those natural spaces. I'm just thinking a lot about how it's so okay and so normal Mm -hmm. to have this next sort of phase, this like, you know, figuring out who you are in the world, that that's sort of born out of that quiet and that space. And kind of like you both saying earlier, like your belonging will come but that quiet within yourself and then seeing that is a separate thing than who am I in the world, which is something we all have to do, right. you know, <laughs> like right. you build that core and then you go into the world and you see, well, where does that core not quite fit? And like, why? And what do I want to do differently? Or how mm-hmm. do I address that? Like, that's just the process of becoming a person, you yeah. know? When I was getting divorced, I really found that like that space at home of just like, this is very raw, very full sensory experience of what's happening here and to go out into the world felt like I was like, okay, we're going to go and do this. And I forget, I think it was maybe like Elizabeth Gilbert or something had a quote that was like, uh, go back in. Mm. And it was this idea of like, we don't have to stay in the moment of integration all the time. You don't have to be in that like hyper sensitive space, vulnerable space all the time. You get to go and then come back and like take care and go and come back. And it's your choice to just like go back in was the idea and the mindset. And I think that that idea here of like having that central understanding of who you are and understanding of, like you said, safe space at home or in nature or whatever that environment is to then hold that, the kind of rally up or you know like garner up your strength go and encounter the world get new information get you know new experiences try different things like you said the the amount of of thinking and figuring out and questioning and just that's one thing that i thought about with this story was just like the amount of consideration Mm -hmm. around everything and it's what i thought when i was reading your book as well was just like having to think through all those questions sounds exhausting yes (laughs) absolutely exhausting so to be able to do that and then you know give yourself a break yes take space you know let it sink in Mm -hmm. figure out what works what doesn't and then go back in yes absolutely and i mean any big change being trans is obviously one of the bigger ones, but like mm-hmm. any huge life transition requires a leap of faith. Yeah. And you, you know, it wouldn't be a leap of faith if you just sort of landed very nicely on the other <laughs> side without any, you know, but wouldn't it be nice? <laughs> yes, it would be nice. <laughs> yeah. So I mean I think that's part of it too is just like having some patience and mm-hmm. some patience with yourself and and with the world around you as you're figuring out mm-hmm. how to navigate it. Mm-hmm. Well and one thing I, I really respected about you and reading your work is the fact that like you were asking those questions, but you were also willing to like take the risk and embody it as you were trying to figure it out. Just even putting yourself in the space of interrogating masculinity in a form that uh, questioning around like the violence aspect of it and saying like, okay, I'm going to go into this structure of it that is still safe in a sense, but what am I going to discover as I interrogate this aspect of masculinity? And I just hope that we can all have grace with ourselves to ask those questions and like work to embody them and yeah. and put ourselves out there to say like, okay, I'm going to figure it out and I don't have the answers <laughs> yeah. and it may be a little messy and, but like, it's worth that journey to embody those questions and interrogate. 
And it can be really powerful for not just yourself, but other people, Yeah, you know? I mean, if you guys don't mind, I can briefly talk a little bit about amateur because I yeah. feel like this. Yeah. I was going to say, we have to say what that, the context yeah. of yeah, that yeah, yeah, is yeah. because it's also just an amazing story. And I, and I think relevant to his story, which mm -hmm. is that, you know, so like I transitioned medically in 2011. Um, and like I mentioned earlier, I didn't have a lot of trans people around me at the time. It was obviously also very pre-trans tipping point. There wasn't a broader, huge national conversation. If anything, we're, we were occasionally a special interest story, a human interest story and mm -hmm. whatever, a magazine. But it, I mean, nobody was talking about trans people. Yeah. And I... Um, had friends in bigger cities, but I was like relocated to this small New England town. So the first couple of years of my transition, I was, I don't know, I was just figuring it out, but I felt like very much in a bubble and isolated and not sure. And then in 2013, I moved to New York and my, I was still sort of in that becoming phase. I was just assumed I was trying to date and things were, I was happy in my body, but things were not in the world, I felt like I was often being mistranslated. You know, a lot of the things he's describing, I just, dating was really hard. Mm -hmm. I was like going on Tinder or whatever, and I wasn't sure if I should put that I was trans and the, you know, this is a different time. Like, yeah. when mm -hmm. do I communicate this to people? Do I date straight women or queer women? How do I find the queer women, right. et cetera? And I'd had a long queer life too. So it was like, but I just, things were, it was a different conversation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then when my mom died the next year in 2014, you know, suddenly, and I was pretty young for that to have happened, and I had a lot of feelings about it, but I wasn't, I was struggling to, I guess, fully be in touch with them. And I realized that because I got into this street fight in 2015 with this like random guy, uh, it was bizarre. And what was more bizarre than it happening was that I like found myself fighting this guy on the street. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't even the first time this had happened. I'd been, I'd been having all these weird encounters with men on the street in New York. And I really felt shocked to find myself in that situation. But when I did, it really helped me realize like, wait, this is not the only thing like this that's happening. Like there are ways I'm becoming in my own masculinity that are not in line with my values as a person. And I, you know, I've been subjected to male violence. I don't want to be a violent man. Um, and so, you know, I had the question, which was like, well, why do men fight anyway? Like, what, what is this all about? And it was about me, but it was also about masculinity in general. And so I, decided to investigate that. I'm a reporter. So I like pitched my bosses, this idea of like, you know, white collar boxing had just started. I was curious about why all these guys who have no reason to risk their lives would be doing that to, mm -hmm. to learn to fight yep. these rich dudes. And so I trained to box and I trained to fight in Madison Square Garden for like a charity match in Madison Square Garden. And I went through this whole process. I trained with these cis dudes. Uh, I did not at the time because I wanted to kind of not have this mediate my experience. I didn't tell any of them I was trans, which was like, for me, I never spent that much time with cis men in this kind of context. And then I got all the way to Madison Square Garden. I fought at Madison Square Garden. And along the way, I was just asking all these questions that were coming up for me. Like, you know, it started with why do men fight? But then it became, why won't anyone touch me? Mm -hmm. um, why is, <laughs> what what's wrong with failing at something? Like, why do I have to win this match? Like, why can't I just fight right. it? You know, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. you know, just like things that like seemed obvious, but I was trying to be, I felt like it was a, and this goes to the storyteller, it's like, I felt like I was in this very fragile place where soon I would harden more into, you know, we can't help but become what is happening around us, you mm -hmm. know? And I felt like I could intervene on my own becoming. Instead of focusing on not feeling like I belonged, I started focusing on like, well, where do I feel dissonance in that belonging? And how can I ask questions about this or question these like sort of assumptions about what does it mean to be a man? How can I engage more with this process so that I feel at least a sense of integrity in myself? 
And through that process, I did find a lot of belonging and connection because it sort of forced me to have conversations with these men I was training with and all kinds of, you know, men and women and everybody else in between about like gender and becoming and the sort of sociological and political ways that we socialize men. It helped me understand my brother better and his boyhood, like forcing a conversation that's never happening actually created um, honesty and vulnerability and real connection for me. And it also helped me, I'm not perfect by any means, but it has helped me create strategies to be the person I want to be in the world to sort of intervene on my own behavior on an ongoing way. And I continue to ask questions when something doesn't feel right. So sorry, that was a long explanation. No, are you kidding? I was, I'm so thrilled about that because I was reading your book and I was like, I need to know more about all of this. Um, no, cause it does seem like there was such honest, connections that were made throughout that process, both like deeper connections made with your family um, and with your partner as you were kind of interrogating this within yourself. And then you were led to conversations, it sounds like, with those people who are important to you about, you know, their experience of the world, how you were becoming more aware of, like with your sister, for example, Mm -hmm. how your relationship with your sister had changed and noticing different experiences. I remember one story from the book of like where you and your brother were like kind of speaking over her when Mm -hmm. she was the one who had kind of the expertise in the conversation. And then later you were like, I think it was because your partner had said, did you notice? You're like, oh God, I, (laughs) why did I do that? (laughs) And to be able to then go back and talk to your sister about that. And I think that kind of like we were talking about those friction points is just being along that journey and noticing the things that start to feel natural and then the things that don't and kind of reconciling the two right? openly, it seems, with both the people that you've known for a long time and then new relationships like your trainer who, you know, you had those conversations with later on. Yeah. I mean, the book really became about, and I think my life has become about, I mean, I'm I'm a white man, I'm cis assumed. Mm -hmm. And so there's a sense of privilege that I have that, you know, the storyteller describes too, where it's like, there's a shift in that side of things that then needs to be reckoned with, acknowledged, figure, I need to figure out what to do about that. And including some of the behaviors I had that made a lot of sense before, you know, that I didn't realize were translating the way they were translating. Like, for example, if you two talk, I bet that if you both get excited, you talk over each other. It's just sort of like a thing that happens in female socialization and it's Mm -hmm. normal and it's acceptable. But if I don't watch that. And I sort of just jumped in. I found that I would silence a whole room, you know, mm-hmm. people, if, if, if women were talking and I started speaking, they would get quiet, not no one being conscious about this, but right. that's just how we've socialized everyone to behave when a man's speaking. Mm-hmm. So if I don't want to contribute to that, I have to be mindful of it. Mm-hmm. So that's the privilege. And then the like flip of that is like the sense of self, I guess, then like the kind of wanting to resonate in the world in a way that makes sense to you. And I think it's, it could be complicated because it's like, I'm finally authentically me, Mm -hmm. but also that means embodying a bunch of things that maybe, you know, even without choosing to, or even without meaning to, you're moving through the world in a different way and people are ascribing things to you. And that's part of picking up the mantle of this identity, which is specific to, I think, trans men who pass. This is not true of all trans people and especially white trans men. Mm -hmm. So I think understanding that privilege and then the opposite is the negative aspects that are ascribed to masculinity. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, what was so powerful about training with cis men, talking to cis men, 
being in this close environment where intimacy was sort of allowed because we had the cover of violence as a yeah. sociologist <laughs> said to me and you know seeing the ways that masculinity and expectations of masculinity really harm men too that created for me it was like a really important healing for me because i i like many people have been the subject of male violence and i think seeing that this is a violent system that is disruptive for everybody, yeah. you know, was mm -hmm. really powerful and allowed me to connect with men in a way that I never expected to. And I think that was very cool because it was transcendent of what I was even expecting. Mm -hmm. You telling your story and your experience of what you did when you were living out what you eventually wrote Amateur to be, the beauty that you modeled for all of us in that was that you were having those conversations and you weren't afraid to have those conversations. And I think sometimes we as humans, even if we have close people in our lives or our family members or even just like acquaintances or friends, we're kind of afraid to tell them about those like deep, intimate thoughts that we're having. And so like to me, one way to encourage people around connection is just like, it's okay to ask the messy questions and like mm -hmm. process that with mm -hmm. people, you know? And there's an encouragement for me. I'm like, okay, Beth, you need a little bit, you need to be a little bit more vulnerable. <laughs> you need to be a little bit more authentic <laughs> in your conversations. Don't stay in your head, you know, like talk it out. Yeah. And there's also like, there's a Cohen, the Zen Cohen, you know, in the beginner's mind, there are many possibilities and the experts, there are a few. Mm -hmm. So a lot of that book was driven by the idea of like, I'm a beginner and we're all beginners at different yeah. things at different points. And there's nothing outside of the human experience, nothing. And so if you are asking a question, you're not the first person to ask it, but maybe you're best set up to ask it because it's occurring to you. And maybe people will be very grateful in your life or otherwise to, to engage with that because you're brave enough to ask, mm -hmm. you know? I mean, mm -hmm. any question you have or anything that is bumping you is probably bumping someone else too. <laughs> In your book, you were constantly discovering things that you were a beginner at. Yeah. And that there was one line, I forget at which point, where you said, oh, I guess I'm a beginner at this too or something <laughs> like that. It's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> but that you were also discovering that the people that you were developing this community around were, were beginners at a lot of things as well. And it was a matter of where you had the space to say, like, I'm new at this. Yeah. Like, and because of the space of learning to box, there was a response around like, you're new at this, let us help. You're yeah. new at this, let's talk about it. Ask us questions, sure. There really was like an openness to community around that experience because a part of it was very out in the open, which was that you had never done it before. Right. And so people could respond appropriately to that. And I think that, um, you know, to Beth's point, we don't often have the courage to, or just know that it's okay, yeah. the permission, let's say, to just openly say like, I don't know, yeah, I'm figuring this out. I'm, you know, this is a part of myself I haven't put out into the world before. Yeah. Like, let's talk about it. Yeah. Um, what's your experience of that? What's my experience of that? And that, that obviously takes safe spaces, mm -hmm. yeah. but they might even be surprising spaces yeah. of overlap as well. And someone wise once said to me that like in order to have intimacy, you have to risk something, Yeah, you know? And so I it's like- I hate about intimacy. <laughs> <laughs> you really can't like keep yourself oh. safe and have intimacy. Oh. And that's the difference between like belonging and the kind of toxic masculinity sense, you yeah. know, which I think yeah. does drive a lot of the worst behaviors of, you know, dominant masculinities. Okay. It's the desire to belong, of course. Yeah. But when that system is so rigid and you have to kind of constantly be- 
striving to succeed at it or you're going to fail. And if you fail, then you have to be on the outside of this whole category of people. Like there's no emotional safety and there's no real intimacy mm-hmm. versus like when you risk you know, something big, like when you're vulnerable in some big way, like it tends to make someone, like it tends to make other people risk meeting you there, you know? And then that's where intimacy happens. It doesn't happen with everybody, but you don't want to have intimacy with people who that won't happen with, you know? The people will come around that are supposed to be there. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. It can surprise you, the people that are willing to meet you there. That's what I've learned. And I also think like the people for a time too, there's some people that will be there for whenever you intersect and move forward. But then there's also those people that are special that are only going to be there for a few years, a few months, you know, but it doesn't take away that experience of intimacy with them. Yeah, I completely agree. Well, obviously, this story brings up a lot that we could talk about and so many different layers of identity, connection, belonging, community, all of those pieces. And it sounds like something that we've discovered throughout this conversation is that All of those things are connected and they don't happen, though, in like a straight line. No. That we're discovering as we go. I think the word of integration that you used is such Mm -hmm. a great one. Is there anything about what this story brings up that we should be talking about that we haven't talked about yet in this conversation? Well, not to bring in something, a super big new idea, but I will say like I'm a really big believer in this thing called trans time, you know, which is the idea that in sort of chronological normal time, you know, especially in like heteronormative time, there's this sort of linearity that seems to exist where it's like, you're born, you have babies, you die, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever. And it's like, things are a straight line. And I think trans people inherently don't live in that. I mean, even if we have babies and so on, we're not living in a straight line. Mm -hmm. We're living circularly. We're beginning again. We're having two puberties, like all of these things that are happening where we're having to be cyclical. And like you, you know, I've come to really love that about being trans because I also realized that everyone is living that way. It's Mm -hmm. just that there's a sort of false idea that there's linearity, you know, and sometimes that puts us out of time or out of step with people around us because it can feel like, everyone else is having a different experience than me. But the older I get and the more alive I am and the longer I'm in my body and whatever, like the more I'm realizing like it is a gift to to have a trans becoming because you get to see behind that veil and realize truly that things are just cyclical and Mm -hmm. life is cycles. I mean, we are born and we die, but besides that all along the way, you know, it's just an endless integration, integration, return, new thing, return, new thing. And so back to this person's letter. And I just, again, my heart really goes out to him because I, I see him in that cycle. (laughs) And I think it'll be exciting once he sort of comes through this moment and realizes like, oh, this is just the first of many. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, and the more he talks to, and the more I think I talk to people who trans are not, I'm realizing everybody is on this cyclical structure. Mm -hmm. It's just some sort of linear chronology is just a lie. Yeah. And and when we accept that those are patterns and that's actually... I feel like as we get older, you realize that that's kind of like the fun part of the roller coaster. Yeah. It's like, oh, we're doing a loop again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I didn't know. I thought, I thought we were just going up for now, totally. but I didn't realize we are going to do a loop at the end of this. That's yeah. fun. Yeah. Um, because nothing's permanent. Yeah. Right. And I think that especially when we're holding on so much to like things that we desire to have, yeah. the permanency of something feels really important. Yeah. But when we get to have them in the ups, the downs, the like wild nuanced parts of it, and we realize we just we keep those things and we're just on this 
ride along with it. There's just a freedom to live yeah. and to embrace mm-hmm. it. And your best relationship's always going to be with yourself. So that's the person you're on the ride with, yes. you know, and that that return over and over again is going to be with that part of you. But the more you do that work, the more you're actually available to other people, mm-hmm. you know. So I think that's really exciting. Yeah. Even though it can feel really scary while yeah. it's happening. <laughs> I just imagine we're like on the roller coaster and like as we're on it longer and longer, we have like different prizes from the like amusement park like in the <laughs> car with us <laughs> we're just like going. Totally. we're like we're still on this with ourselves people get on people get off yep. like we got a whole car of people back here but like we're just collecting moments memories experiences yeah. that are like coloring the experience the real journey that we get to have and that part is fun I yeah. don't know. <laughs> and then we can relate to it? all the other people, all, all the other people who've got the same prizes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. I don't know why my brain works this way. <laughs> that's, what, that's what we're working with here. <laughs> well, Thomas, we just want to thank you so, so much for coming on the podcast today and having this conversation with us. So happy to have done it. I really appreciate yeah. it. Thank you. It was uh, delightful. And we will continue talking about it, I'm sure. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And listeners, if you would like to learn more about Thomas and read his articles, you can go to thomaspagemcbee.com. Also buy his books, <laughs> Man Alive and Amateur, wherever you can purchase books, but also buy Indie. Do it. Seriously. <laughs> Seriously, though. <laughs> We want to end this episode by hearing from our amazing storyteller once again. We asked him what he thought he missed from this misconnection. He said, my true self. I was trying to fit into some label or personality instead of being myself. We also believe that for every misconnection, there can also be something gained. Our storyteller said, a deeper sense of who I am and who I'm not because I tried on a bunch of different ways of being. I'm still not totally sure who that is. Ha ha. (laughs) cute this is Miss Connections thanks for listening I'm Elizabeth Wyndham and I'm Elizabeth Villa special thanks to this week's guest Thomas Page McBee and our truly amazing storyteller you know who you are this episode's story essay was written by Charlotte Beach the story was voiced by our lovely storyteller Misconnections is co-hosted, produced, and edited by us, the Elizabeths, Elizabeth Villa and Elizabeth Wyndham. Our theme music is Feeling by Danielle Musto. Have a misconnection story to share with us? Email us at elizabeths at mistconnectionspod.com. And please follow, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube.